Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Once again, for first-time listeners of the Greatest Games Podcast, this is a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. We don't put a limit on it. It can be their time as an assistant coach, a CYO coach, a varsity coach, a college coach, and even an NBA coach if we get Phil Jackson on one time. Just a chance for us to tell them about their greatest game. You know we're reaching out to those NBA coaches, and we're just waiting for the first one to come on. But I tell you what, super excited for today's guest. He just finished his third season at Waldwick High School in New Jersey, Eddie Rock Renzio. Welcome on into the show. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. Coach Renzio added to his win total earlier this year by one by taking down the Saddlebrook Falcons. So <laughs> gave, gave him another dub for his career highlights. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's always great to compete against you, Chris. You do a great job with those guys. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Brian, I am going to call Coach Renzio out a little bit. Uh, we had uh, Dan Egero on one of our first episodes. That's right. And I told you Dan Egero was the second best dressed coach in the county. <laughs> oh, I remember. That, that is because of Coach Renzio is the best dressed coach in the county. It has made its way. That, that The legend has made its way to South Carolina. So, Coach, tell, tell me your secret. What's, what's the deal with, the, with the, the number one ranking there? Uh, well, it happened. I was at a wedding um, years ago, and I got a compliment on how I looked in the, in the suit. So I was supposed to go away with a couple of friends, and that fell through. So I headed over to Men's Warehouse, and they had a sale going on. So when you go to Men's Warehouse – they always hook you up with the suit, and then they give you three or four accommodations of shirt, shirts and, and ties. So I started doing that. And then, like you said, then you can never have too much. So a sale would come on. You know, you say, okay, I can always go for another suit. You know, big games coming up. You go a different combination of shirt and ties. And, uh, you know, the legend, the legend started there, and it kind of keeps – I just try to keep it going uh, day in and day out. So that's uh, – I have to thank Men's Warehouse and uh, Calvin Klein suits for uh, making me look good. But it's, uh, it's. I, I, in fact, I, I'm worried that if I don't wear the suit to the game, the kids will think that something's wrong. So even uh, if we play the weekend games or something uh, along the line, I always wear uh, the suit. And uh, Coach Zablazio, I remember at uh, Elmwood Park, said to me, and all kidding, uh, do you own anything but suits? And I started joking around. I said, uh, no, I wear it every day of the weekend on Sundays. So it's, uh, I try to keep that going. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of, you know, I, I get the jokes, and, uh, but it's all, it's all good. I, I love wearing them. And um, I guess it's just, you know, that, playing fast break basketball and shaving my head are the three things that uh, <laughs> uh, you can count on at all times from Eddie Rocker and Zio. Well, so, I will say Dan said the same thing as you. He, he said, I made the mistake. He said, my first game I coached at Cresco, his first varsity game, he wore the suit. And he's like, I didn't mean to. I just, whatever reason, I wore it. He goes, and then I worried that if I didn't wear it, the kids would be like, well, what's the matter with coach? Why isn't he in a suit? <laughs> so, yes, and he's got, a lot, he's got a lot of years left on his career to keep wearing suits. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he does a great job there. He's like, he's just different, you know, it's uh... – how you know coach reward and coach dodo were compared out i mean everyone's successful in their own ways yeah. you know he's like he's a little bit you know i say a little bit more laid back than those guys but <laughs> absolutely again, everyone gets the job done there and it's like 
they're like machines, man-to-man defense, hard nose, uh, <laughs> basketball, and uh, it's just the way the way the kids at Crestville um, they compete. And not only are they a good player, they're great kids over there. You know, after games, talk to the kids and very respectful. You know, they, they leave it on the court, but once that game's over, you know, they, there's no animosity. And, and that's what I really enjoy going there and competing against those guys. And Brian, Brian will tell you about the education he's gotten in Bergen County basketball doing this podcast. We've talked about Cresco a lot, obviously, <laughs> with me having coached there for a bunch of years and we had Dan on. So Brian's well aware of the Cresco tradition. That's right. But it, sounds <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it, it really, I mean, it sounds like it's really good basketball. And like you're talking about coaches, good, hard nosed and good kids competing, leaving it all on the floor and being able to shake hands and move on. And there's no animosity, anything like that. It's just sound there. Everybody living this thing. It's different, but living in South Carolina, everybody's spread apart a little bit, but everybody up there living so close together, everybody growing up together and now competing against each other and leaving it all on the floor. It really sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it's great. And I remember growing up watching the Crest School teams play against Woodridge. And at the time, um, they would always they were one of the few teams that would wear shirts and tie to the games. Um, coach Marty Rivard was a coach. And he was, you know, at the time, every coach yelled. So he, he was, you know, an intense uh, individual. And Chuck Taylor sneakers were the big sneakers back then. So they would wear – they were one of the few teams that I would actually wear. Like now it's fashionable to wear dark sneakers or different colored sneakers. But at the time, they were one of the few teams that wore – you know, black sneakers. So you would come in or compete against them. I played against them um, my first three years of high school. And um, they were, again, they would come in with their shirt and ties. They would play man-to-man defense and they would wear their Chuck Taylors and you would compete, you know, you know, game in and game out. And again, the game is over. You share a couple of laughs, you congratulate each other and you move on to the, the next game. And that's, that was great. And now competing, coaching against it, uh, it makes it more fun. So it's just really enjoyable. All right, enough about the Cougars, Coach. We want to hear about you. Why don't you give us uh, your coaching resume and, and what's brought you to where you are today at Waldwick High School? Uh, well, I've been coaching. I, had this, I just finished up my 21st year. Um, I've won six league titles, the one sectional title, um, six coach of the year. Um, I got inducted uh, into the Woodridge Hall of Fame, into the State Hall of Fame. Uh, I was at Woodridge again for 18 years. Before that, I was an assistant at Woodridge for five. I played there for four. I lived literally across the street from the school for years. So I can roll out of, this, roll out of my bed right to the gym. Um, and to me, Woodridge was, will always be home. Crest, um, Waldwick right now for me is, is great. They treat me tremendous up here. My family comes to every game. I'm about a half a mile away from the school. Uh, I think we're doing a lot of good things here. I got two really good assistant coaches in Greg McBain and Dan Staley. Uh, the parents treat me really well. The kids really work. And now we're getting, we're getting to it um, where we have a lot of kids that just play basketball. So it, that's, we're taking a step in the right direction there. The kids are working in the off season and I, I'm excited. Um, it's a little different, you know, Woodridge, we've had, you know, the tradition Herb Cohen built that program up, you know, in 1969, they won one game in 1979. They were the group one champs. So that, that just shows you the job he did in, in 10 years. And then, um, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be a Woodridge Blue Devil. I got to play there right away as a freshman because there was a couple injuries with the upperclassmen. And um, once the opportunity came as the assistant coach under Jimmy Jancarelli, who was the point guard on the state championship team, I learned so much from him that he moved on to Wayne Hills High School, and I got lucky. I coached uh, – a senior class my first year that I coached when they were freshmen and 
two of the players were ball boys when I played in high school. So I had a really good relationship with them. And then um, from there, we just kept on plugging away. Uh, and we built a certain style that I enjoyed playing in high school. And I still enjoy playing now. And we kind of went from there with uh, at the high school level, you know, the up-tempo, the pressing. Um, we play a little bit more zone than I like. I'd rather play a little more man-to-man, but sometimes our personnel kind of dictates the defenses uh, defenses we're going to play. And um, not, it's, been, it's been a wild ride. I can't believe when I say I've been coaching for 21 years, and I look back at the first couple of years, you know, my first year we had 15 kids in the program total. And I was with Matt Stone last week, and Matt and I were – he was my assistant. And we joke around, you know, rock and stone, stone and rock. And um, that first year was, was a lot of fun because there was no pressure. You know, you just competed. And we wound up going uh, – when the, those seniors were juniors, they won four games. Then the following year, we won 14 games. So, they, you know, it was a nice improvement with a certain style that, I, I again, I enjoy playing. And um, now with my – you know, I have the opportunity to see my son because at Woodridge – you know, on game days, I leave the house at 7. I'm not getting home till 10 o'clock at night after the game. You got to grab a bite to eat. You might watch the next opponent's tape. So it, it was really, you know, I, I was telling you, I was feeling guilty. I would, you know, I couldn't be in two places at once. And I even said to him, I said, you know, um, I might change jobs. And he was just like, well, why, you know? And I said, well, to be closer to you. And he's just like, why would you do that? Like he said it like so honestly. <laughs> he had no idea. And I said, well, you know, I, I kind of told him why. And um, up to the last minute, um, I, Mike and I talked. Mike Mayer, the athletic director of Waldwick, when he called me, he's like, well, I asked him when he needed to know by um, to make a decision. And I basically went to the last minute. I, I was at one minute, I was staying at Woodridge, one minute I was going to Waldwick. And then I called the athletic director at Woodridge the, I think it was the Tuesday after Memorial Day. And I said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to stay. And then I got, I got a text message from my wife and she was asking me, what are you going to do? And I changed my mind. I said, listen, I got to make a decision and stick to it. So I called Woodridge back and I told him, you know, I was moving on and I wanted to meet with the kids and uh, Dave Porfito was the athletic director. He, was fine with that. And then I called Mike Mayer over at Walt and said, Mike, listen, uh, I'm going to sit down and talk to you. And I walked into Mike's office and I said, um, I let Woodridge know that we're I'm moving on and let's do this. And, and Mike was a real supportive right away. So it's, it's, it's been a, a bit of a change. You know, at times I still find myself, you know, you know, saying Woodridge when, you know, ask me who do you coach for, but you know, three years now it's gone by pretty quick. And um, again, I'm looking for, you know, up the up and coming season and hopefully we'll get to play and the future looks good. So, you know, it's a, and Jimmy Moore, one of my point guards, and I've known him since he was a little kid is the head coach. Now I couldn't be more supportive and more, um, you know, honored for him to take that job. Cause I think he's doing an excellent job. And I think, again, he's got a lot of great years ahead of him. He's a good young coach. And again, in his second year, they won the sectional title and that doesn't happen every day. So I'm happy for the decision Woodridge made on hiring him. Coach, I think that's such a, a beautiful story. And I'm, I've, I've looked up prior to this interview uh, a story on, on NorthJersey.com. We were fortunate to have Darren Cooper on the <laughs> podcast a, a week or two or, or so ago. So super entertaining podcast uh, episode there. But <laughs> great, great article here. And, and you were quoted as saying, family was a big part in making my decision. And, you know, just hearing, you know, how firmly entrenched you were at Woodridge, I, I can only imagine how 
difficult of, of a decision it was to move on. And but the the question I have for you is is we you know we have a lot of young coaches and up and coming coaches that listen to this show, um, and I guess any any tips or suggestions for for them and for me and and all of us to uh, of of how to integrate your family with with your coaching and obviously made a decision to, to be closer to family and spend more time with them. But can you talk more about that thought process and how you do integrate and, and spend more time with your family while being a highly successful high school basketball coach? Well, the one thing that we've always done wherever uh, at Woodridge uh, for all those years and now at Wallwood, I treat the team like a family. It's always, you know, we, we do, we do a bunch of team bond, uh, bonding. We do um, dinners and we will have, uh, miniature golf tournaments and we'll take the kids bowling um they're always invited you know holidays we do our holiday party we, you know we do a number of parties throughout the year so i always had that kind of um atmosphere at all my practices if i if one of the alumni want to come in and speak you're more than welcome because you're part of it you know that was the one thing um at woodridge always i was always watching the teams play when i was a kid and i dreamt about being you know Jimmy Hawthorne or Freddie Kicho when I got older. And once I became a player, um, I felt I was accepted a little bit more. And then when I became the coach and seeing these guys that I looked up to come back and watch the kids play, I said, listen, you guys, I'd love to have you come to practice. You know, and we did, you know, at the holiday tournament, we named the holiday tournament at Woodridge after Coach Cullen, which was well-deserved, probably too late. He deserved to be named that tournament earlier. We honored the 79 team. So when it comes to family, um, having my son there, having my stepson there, having my wife there, um, I even with my assistant coaches, I say, you know, listen, let's get the kids together. Let's get the families together. Let's do stuff because when you have that bond, you know, people will do more for you. That was the, that's the one thing that I really stress for any young coach, like do stuff, do the team bonding. You know, I used to love when we used to have the practice after Thanksgiving because you would go Friday morning, team, team lunch, Friday afternoon, Sunday, Saturday, team um, practice, team lunch, practice. And usually that, that third practice, we'd end that third, or the, sorry, the fourth practice. We would end that with an intra-squad, excuse me, an intra-squad scrimmage. And we would invite people to come in and watch. And, you know, you do like, like almost like the uh, NCA, the Midnight Madness. You get music, you, you announce the kids, and they come out make it a best of atmosphere. If you can get that enthusiasm, the kids are going to feed off that. Um, you know, if you look the part, you act the part, you're going to be the part. And I, I truly believe that. And that's why I think family is important because you, you have that. You're not, you're not distracted by anything. You're, everyone's on your side. It's one big happy family. But that's where my mic so is off. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say I interviewed for the job at Waldwick, but before coach Renzio, it was, before um, it was when the other coach was there. I Mike McQuaid? Mike McQuaid. So they did a better job hiring Mike McQuaid and then hiring Coach Renzio than hiring me. <laughs> One of Mike Mayer's best decisions he's ever made as athletic director. Um, uh, no, I wouldn't – listen, I thought you were going to get the job there, actually, at Waldwick. And I knew watching your freshman teams play and just talking to you, 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 get, you, you run it. And Saddle with the same thing this year. You ran the um, – the uh, motion offense to a tape. I mean, you're yeah. getting kids that can't, you're getting kids opportunities to score that normally wouldn't. And that's a credit to you. Thank you. Thank you, coach. The, the question I wanted to ask you um, is we've, this has been a theme 
Uh, it's come up. We talked about Dan Agaro having played at Creskill and then coaching at Creskill. And uh, you played at Woodridge and coached there. Now you have Coach McBain on your staff, who was a great player at Waldwick himself. Talk about what, it's, what it means to have at least someone on the staff that played there and the importance of that. You talked a little bit about family, but really having someone like you were obviously invested in Woodridge so much. And you're invested in Waldwick too, but having someone like Greg on your staff, who's a Waldwick kid, and played there and what that means to, to them and how they translate that to the kids. It's, he's excellent. He just has a very positive um, personality. So when we talks about, you know, it was this, you know, when I played, we, we, we did it this way when, you know, and, and the kids can relate to that, you know, um, the whole warm up routine, like that's what they did as a warm up routine. So we, uh, we do that same warm up routine that, that Greg did when he played. Um, it, it just, you know, We'll, we'll speak before big games. And I, I allow Greg to speak first because though it hits, I think it hits more home with them because he is from, because he is from town. Um, and, you know, he works with the younger kids and he builds them up. And we get, when they get to play for me, he, he'll talk to them. You know, it's like a good cop, bad cop. You know, I'm you're getting on him and Greg's the first one to tell me, hey, listen, he loves you. This is what you have to do. And for that, you know, the way Greg does it, I don't think he can, if he wasn't from town, the kids, kids would not respond the way they do. He just has a very good personality. And, again, he, he's all in, and he wants the kids to do really well. And, again, I don't know, you know, you take it year by year as a head coach, but, you know, I, I can see him whether taking my, you know, replacing me if, if I step down someday or, you know, if he goes on to maybe the girls' program or whatever he wants to do, he's going to be an excellent coach because he, he just has that personality. You know, he's – doing like 10 different things. He just had a second child. So that's crazy. And, you know, he's a detective, so he's got a lot going on. But, no, he's, he's excellent. He's, he's all in, and um, it's, it's, he's a tremendous asset to the, to the program. The kids really look up to him. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Great. Yeah, he is a big, six, 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 ten? Ten. Yeah, he's 6'10". He's a big guy. <laughs> the best is when we go golfing. He has his, uh, his putter. I think he's as big as me. So I mean, <laughs> I was just joking, but it's pretty, it's a pretty big putter. So, um, yeah, but he's, he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, you look forward to going to practice every day. You look forward to the games. You're seeing your friends, you know, and they're like your brothers. And then you coach the kids and, you know, you know, you know yourself practices at times you, you get after it, but practices, you spend more time practicing with the kids than the games. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you get after it and, you know, everything we do, you know, we'll go 90 minutes sometimes, but those kids are running for 90 minutes. And I believe in, you know, quality other than quantity. So that's, that's why we do some of the things we do. So even practice-wise, you know, we'll practice JV, varsity, and sometimes freshmen all at the same time. And we get 90 minutes in, and we don't cut corners, and we're able to accomplish pretty much everything we want. So, you know, you enjoy it. So, yeah, I, I want to key in on that. You know, when I was coaching, I, I just rude the day where kids were standing in the back of the lines. Like, I, I, I did the best that I could to try to get kids active and moving and, and moving for, like you say, 90 minutes. And there's no need to condition at the end of practice if you've been moving the entire yeah. practice. So, you know, your, your journey coming along, where did you pick up? Uh, your style of play, you know, getting up and down, hard-nosed defense, and, you know, as you were cutting your teeth, where, where were some of those lessons learned and, and maybe semi, maybe even a change belief that you had entering coaching that now you're like, yep, it's a completely different uh, uh, belief now. 
Well, the, the one thing is, um, again, I love playing basketball. I'm only five, six. So to, to compete, I always had to play fast. You know, if, if we're going to go to half court offense, I'm going to be at a disadvantage, obviously, because pretty much everyone on the court is going to be bigger than me. So I always believe to go up and down, try to beat, uh, beat my opponent with speed. So my first year as the head coach, we only had one player over six foot. So I said, well, let's make this into, you know, we'll make our, hopefully our legs will last longer than their, 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 their legs. So we started pressing right away. We had a man to man press that we ran. We would practice, you know, from the first day of practice to the last day. And from there, we were able to transition. And we only, again, we had four guards and one, one big guy. And that's where we kind of established. It wasn't called the dribble drive motion offense back then. It was called the dribble weave. So we would have the dribble weave when we have our big guy just sit on the one block and we'd play four out and one in. And then um, my, my, in 2000, my 2000 team, we actually had size. And we had a change. We still pressed, but we had four big guys instead of just one. So we were trying to play two big guys at one time. And we went to more of a high-low offense, but we were still able to get up and down. And then after 2004, again, we just had the one big guy. And then um, in 2006, we had no big guys. So I figured, you know what? Let's just spread the floor. Let's play unconventional basketball. And let's just try to get up as many shots as we can. Let's really use the three-pointer. And it kind of grew from there. And then um, – as my teams got, you know, we, we started changing our ideas about practice. We're going to spend more time doing individual fundamental things than doing motion offense because we really didn't play in the half court much. So we said we're going to work on pressing, we're going to work on fast break drills, and we're going to do everything up and down. We're not going to do anything in the half court. And it just kept on evolving from there. And um, the one thing is we, we tried to run motion offense with some of my players years ago. And they just, you know, one player would mess up the cut or one, mess, one player would mess up a screen and the whole offense would kind of sputter to a stop. So we said, listen, let's just, we'll go, we'll go pace and space. We'll spread the floor. If we have a big guy, we'll put him on uh, the left block so we can create from the left to the right because most of our players are right-handed. And if we don't have a big guy, we'll go to a five out, you know, we'll go dribble weave and we'll put our two best shooters in the corner if they help out off the shooters. Um, We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get a layup. If they do help off the drive, we'll kick for a shot. And that's where it kind of um, built from there. And then, you know, when, when Chris and I were, you know, when Creskill and Woodridge were, I think, at their highest levels, we had everything. We had the big guy and we had the, the shooters and we had the, the, the guys that can handle the basketball. So it was the best of both worlds. So that's, you know, now it's at Woodridge, it was ingrained in the kids' heads when they were younger because we took over the younger programs. Uh, up here, the fir- I remember the first practice, and one of the kids says, Coach, when are we going to put in our, our motion offense? And I said, well, we don't really have a motion offense. We have a full-court offense. And it, it, it's, it's, taken, it's taken some time for them to get used to that because when they were younger, the coach would call every play. They would walk the basketball up. I get mad when they do walk the basketball up. We want to push the basketball up, you know, we have one of those mini clocks and we'll put, you know, 12 seconds on it. And then it goes to 10 seconds and then seven seconds. And if they don't get a quality shot off in the seven seconds, they'll run. And the, that, that, that team will run. We'll bring another team on and then we compete from there. So pretty much when we start practice, every player is put into a team according to a color. So blue, blue, white, red, green, and black. So if a 
the blue team messes up. Well, blue, you're running, okay? Green, you jump in, and then white's on. So we kind of rotate uh, that way. So if, if teams aren't playing at the speed we want, they'll condition on the sideline, and the other kids will be able to play. And then everything's in competition. So if you lose a competition, there's consequences, and that's how we try to keep that competitive atmosphere going. And it, I, I think it works. And as a player, I don't want to do – drills like you said brian said standing around that that drives me that's when problems occur kids start goofing around if i'm busy for 90 minutes if i'm going up and down for 90 minutes if i'm having fun playing this game of basketball for 90 minutes i'm willing to do it and like brian said if you're going up and down for 90 you don't have to worry about doing conditioning at the end because every drill every uh segment you know you're doing conditioning so it's you know with the basketball in your hand which i i really enjoy you know i i love the up and down game and the less plays I have to call, the better I feel about uh, about my teams. Because again, scouting reports, huddle nowadays, you know, everyone knows what everyone's doing, but it comes down to executing and adapting as the game goes on. All right, Brian, thanks for answer, asking that question. I got the secret elixir now. There you go. I know <laughs> what's going on at Waldwick practices. I got it. Like Bill Belichick, I know what's going on in his team. Uh, Brian, just, just to give you a little indication, when his team's got it going, it's a lot like uh, when uh, Bruce Pearl had Tennessee going. Yeah. They're, like, that's what it reminded me of when I first saw it. And I always tell my kids whenever we're playing one of Coach's teams, I said, even if you beat that initial trap, they're coming from behind to back tap it, to slap it, to hit you. Like, don't think because you beat that initial trap and, and got the ball out of that that it's over. The pressure keeps coming. You get across half court. You know how you get across half court? teams fall back in their defense nope coach's team is still coming still looking to slap it away you know get it out of your hands so it's it's a constant uh your kids have to be vigilant at all times against coaches teams with with the style he runs coach i'm gonna pick on you a little here or i want you to tell you i want you to tell a fun story i want you to tell me about a time that you got a technical foul or you broke a clipboard or something where you lost the cool <laughs> Give us, give us something good. We love these stories. <laughs> okay. It was my first year. We're playing Richfield in Richfield. And Richfield's court is tight. And on, yeah. And where you sit, um, you're literally against the wall. So there's the wall, a chair, and maybe two or three inches to the court. So I'm 27 years old. You know, I'm fired up my first head coaching job. You know, you want to do well. And we're playing Richfield. And it was, you know, Richfield was taller than us size-wise. And it was contrasting styles. So, again, it's a long season. You know, players can rub you the wrong way. You rub players the wrong way. So one of my best players was off shooting-wise. So I'm like, listen, you can do – you just get a layup. Get see the ball go in the basket. You'll be fine. And he wound up settling for a like mid-range jump shot that he never takes so i get i get i'm fired up i'm you know matt's grabbing me by the waist i'm ranting down the sidelines i take the 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 clipboard and i and i throw it down and the marker goes flying on the court okay um kevin i think kevin toolman was doing the game he comes running over right in front of me and gives me a t and not only does he give me the t he gives me the the one finger t like the the fingers touching the fingers, not even like the, the bet. Yeah, exactly. Which like, I don't know if you thought I was getting on him. So then like they, they call the team. Now I have to sit. So there's a dead ball and he's right in front of me. I go, Kevin, I go, 
I wasn't even talking to you. I go, why did you team me up? He goes, Rock, I know you weren't, but once, once something comes flying on the court, what other, what other, choice, what other choice do I have? So I, I started laughing. So I'm like, okay. So I had to sit, I had to sit there. But I, then like two minutes later, the rich, now he's no longer, I forgot his name, but the Richfield coach goes berserk. So Kevin goes over, double, double tees him. He gets thrust. So they got the, J, the JV coach coaching. He's sitting on the bench. I'm sitting like, I'm like Jay Mahoney. I'm holding on to the chair. I'm like lifting it up. I'm jumping up. The head coach from Richfield's in the locker room, and he's yelling through the doors. It was like <laughs> total, total chaos. The gym echoes. Balls are flying all over the place. We end up losing the game by, I think, by five. I was like, and again, you're a young coach. You come home, and the first thing you want to do is, like, you want to just rip someone, you know, a new one. Stone's like, listen, we didn't play that. You know, Matt was always in my ear. Like, he's, again, the good cop, you know. We didn't play that bad. I'm like. How, first of all, how did I get? How did this marker break? We, I couldn't even draw up a play the rest of the game. You know, he got through, and then he, I was talking to Kevin, and and the other coach apologized to me. I go, well, "What's going on here?" So I just got the kids on the bus, and you know, we went home. That was my first ever tea. And every time I see Kevin, well, Kevin does college games now, but when I see him because he lives in Waldwick, we joke around about the whole time, and like he'll say, "You know, coach, I got a marker for you." Or you know something along those lines, just to to razz me. But yeah, I thought that was uh, that was one of the funnier ones that um, I got. But uh, Brian Galinius, my former assistant, he used to you know you know Brian from Saddlebrook. Mm-hmm. He jokes every every time I see him, he would like point the marker or do something with the marker. So you know, I thought that was kind of, that was kind of funny. But that was uh, yeah, that was one of the, the funnier technical fouls I think I've ever gotten. I only got like five. And people think, you know, you must get a lot. Well, no, because you start, when you get on the officials, they tell you to stop. You stop, you know, you don't, you don't ride them, you know. And yeah. when you watch the film, they're, they're right 95%, 98% of the time. There's a 2% that you get the right, and, you know, then you joke around with them afterwards. So, you know, as long as, you know, you, you're respectful to them, you ask them what they have, they're respectful to you, you know, it's all good. I mean, the players play games, coaches coach, and refs refs. So, but yeah, that was, that was that. And, you know, speaking of Darren Cooper, I remember uh, the one Christmas tournament, I think it was 2010, uh, we played Lodi. And that's when I had Gary and Gib were um, sophomores. Vinny was a senior. Uh, Vinny was the jun- junior and Angel and Maddie were both juniors. And we played um, Lodi. And it was the highest scoring game in the state. We ended up winning 132, 125 in overtime. And Darren called me up the next day to go over the game. And one of the first lines he said to me, he goes, Coach, you realize there was six NBA games last night and no one scored 132 points. So when it came time for my contract, the Woodridge, we always signed the one-year contract. So I would always joke around with the athletic director, say, I want a raise. And I said, that would be – Darren gave me ammunition to ask for a raise. But, you know, obviously it didn't. But I thought that was uh, – I thought that was one of the, the lines I'll never forget um, from my days at Woodridge, you know, so – good old darren cooper he's an absolute (laughs) trip and just seems like just the classic just the classic columnist high school sports columnist. everybody (laughs) knows him super engaging loves obviously loves what he does it was it was great to talk to him he was the the first non-coach we've had on this show and then uh, (laughs) we need chris we need to have him back because he was he was was yes he's a really good guy and does like you say he loves what he does and does everything for the kids yeah so yeah 
it comes through loud and clear. So, um, <laughs> well, coach, you know, the name of the podcast is the greatest game. So at this point in the show, we'd love to hear about the greatest game you've ever been a part of with as much background information as you can tell us and why this game is so special to you. Okay. Uh, that it was a hard choice when, when I talked to Chris about it. And like you said, the two, the 2015 game, um, against Crestville came to mind, but this one, um, our 2011 semifinal game against Leonia. Uh, we were playing, it was a Saturday late afternoon. It was a five o'clock game. And, uh, we knew Leonia was a good team. We knew they were better than what their record, uh, indicated. They had some injuries throughout the season and, um, they had good size, good guards. And we knew, uh, they matched up really well against us. So we started out in our patent two, three zone. We diamond pressed them. I think maybe the first four minutes of the game, they broke the press and their stud guard, uh, his last name was Munez, threw down a dunk. And I'm not talking like a rinky-dink where he just dipped in. This was a, a one-handed rim rocker, and I remember we had a great student body, and they were all, like, hushed. They were like, ooh, it's just not going to – you know, they were impressed by the dunk. And uh, for some reason, uh, my assistant coaches and I decided, like, we're going to – we got to get out of the zone. They're killing us in the zone. So we wound up going man-to-man. We only played man-to-man a handful of times the entire season and it got us back it got us back into the game and the fourth quarter was you know back and forth they would score we would score they would score we would score and with about seven seconds to go they had a big guy and he wound up going to the basket and we fouled him and he hit one out of two foul shots so we were down one with seven seconds to go and uh they had a a foul to give and they wound up giving the foul with about five seconds to go. So we had a sideline play design, and we were going to space the floor. And we put uh, our center, Vinny Alburn, on the left block. We had Angel Colon and Maddie uh, Alvarez in the backcourt. We put Gary Rittenauer, or one of our top shooters, who scored 1,990 points uh, in his career. We put Mike Gibney, who scored 2,100 points, in the other corner. And we were just going to say, listen, get the ball, you know, Break down the defense. If they help off, help off you, kick it. We told Angel, if um, they help off you, kick it out, and we're going to win this game uh, going you know, at the buzzer. And it turned out that Angel went right away. He made a beautiful reverse layup. He used the rim as a protector. He used his body. He wound up spinning the ball in. It hit the, you know, hit the backboard. It went in. They inbound the basketball. Now, again, there's maybe three seconds to go. Gary Rittenauer steals the inbounds pass. I've never seen this before. Throws the ball straight up into the air. Doesn't attempt a shot. Doesn't get fouled. Everyone on the court is watching the ball. The ball gets to its apex. The horn goes off, and our fans storm the court, and we had to get all the kids off to shake their hands. And the reason why I thought it was an important game, first, Angel makes this great move. Gary had the, the basketball mindset to intercept the pass and throw it up into the air. And it was, as a coach, my first time in the sectional final. We've been to the semifinals a bunch of times. We couldn't get over, over the hump, and we, and we finally did. And then we went on to play Chris's team, uh, Creskill, in, uh, in the first of many finals we played against them. And we got, the, uh, we got the upper hand that day. And then we went on. And uh, just that feeling of getting to a sectional final and, and winning it is something you can't describe. And after that, it becomes almost like a curse. If you don't get there when you're supposed to get there, if you don't win it when you're supposed to win it, 
it, it you feel a little empty inside. And um, now I, you know, you try to tell kids that, and you know, they say, yeah, but until it's like anything else, until you experience it, it's it's the best. And uh, thinking back to all the teams we had at Woodridge, you know, we were knocking on the door, and to get there and to win it, it was it was tremendous. And that game just kind of like symbolized, I thought, everything we put into the program of. You know, Angel was not even from where he moved to town and him and his brothers, and they were tremendous um, contributors to the program. And then you had three blue blood Woodridge guys and Vinnie Laverne, Mike Gibney, and Gary Rittenauer. And then you had Matty Alvarez, who was just, just, just a tough kid. And, and Matty's brother, um, Anthony Taborda, was probably one of the, the best, if not the best kid I've ever coached. And Matty was a totally different player than Anthony. Anthony was a scorer. Matty was a passer and a defensive, defensive player. So, you know, you, you take all those parts and the unselfishness, the, the team camaraderie, and the fan support was the best too. Because, like, before games, they're in the locker room painting. They, they allowed body paint at the time. So they would be, like, designing, you know, they, one, one, one of the leaders of our student body dressed up like a, a bumblebee. But instead of black and yellow, he was blue and white. And, you know, just the different – they came down the court. It was it was just special. The games, you know, you feel like a rock star if, if that can contribute to anything. If anyone's ever been through it, they'll know how uh, that feels. But that that was one of the special moments. And then, you know, getting the to the next following years, you know, going, to, you know, you're you're playing against the best competition in Bergen County, and you're being invited. And, and Chris will tell you, for a Group One school to play in those selected uh, weekend tournaments is it's a pretty big honor. And at that once they throw the ball up, you know, you're no longer a group one school. You're a school competing against the big boys. And that's where, as a young coach, as an older coach now, that's where you want to be. You know, when, you, when they throw the ball up, you want a fighting chance. You want your kids to compete. And you want to play in the, the biggest games. And, you know, people think that, you know, group four basketball, or, you know, which is great. You know, the, the parochial leagues in, in the state of New Jersey, I think, are one of the best around. But when you're a small school, you're picking from a small selected group. It, it means a little bit more. And I'm from a small school, so I can't – I don't know what it's like to be at a bigger school, but I do know the fight and the grit. If you can take that with – you know, your kids can do that. It, it makes it that much special. And uh, that's that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy coaching. And I think basketball is the best – you know, I know I'm going to catch some stuff from this, but I think basketball is the best to coach because – you know, on any day, anybody can beat anybody. You know, you get a shooter that gets hot or, you know, you just catch a team at the, at the, the right time. You, you can do some – make some, make some noise. And once the kids get confidence, it, it makes you feel great as a coach, but you feel proud for your kids that they came and they competed and they proved you right by believing in you. And to me, that's, that's what it's all worthwhile. Brian, I just want to clear up some things. You heard that right. He had a 2,100-point score and a 1,900-point score together that's 4,000 points between two guys yeah and I will say this about Angel Cologne he was that guy Brian and you're a college basketball fan you know that guy that seems like he's out of school for like seven or eight years <laughs> that was Angel Cologne had unlimited eligibility in high school I don't know I don't know what form you have to fill out for that or but uh, he was, Angel was a tr was just the epitome of a tough hard-nosed point guard you know, not, not the best offensively, but could compete offensively, defensively, gave no quarter, didn't give you an inch, you know, played physical, played tough, played smart. And I could I, – I guess I was out scouting a game at that point. I don't know why I wasn't at that game if we played you next. 
It must have been at some other game. Maybe I was there. Don't know it. Don't remember it. <laughs> That's when uh, – Talk about yeah. the – if you could pause – I always ask this question. If you could pause time – the moment Gary threw the ball up into the air, what like what was what do you, do you remember your initial thought like? Oh, what was crap, he doing? What is he doing? <laughs> yeah, I go because I, I at first because we were celebrating that he made the shot, and not not like our fans were. Our kids were kind of like scrambling, so I'm telling them to stay up because I didn't want anything coming in quick. We uh, we knew Maddie was deep, and Maddie played free safety in football, but when Gary did this, that and he threw the basketball up I'm like what's he doing and then I went over and give him a hug I said that was probably this one of the smartest plays I ever I've ever I've ever seen and it was like like when you have a snowball fight when you're a young kid and you have two snowballs and you throw one up and everyone looks and you peg the you peg the kid with the second snowball that's what it was like everyone was looking up at the at the at the ball and then Greg Matura who you should try to get on to Greg's a, you know Greg's a funny guy he interviewed me at the end of the, at the end of the game and I said did you see written hours play and Greg was saying the exact same thing what was what was he doing I go Greg that might have been one of the smartest plays I've ever seen because he didn't give the opportunity to get fouled he didn't have an they didn't have an opportunity to maybe get you know the officials didn't blow the whistle and they and they get a steal he mm -hmm. just took you know threw the ball up the game was the game ended with the ball in flight and again I thought that was that was amazing and Angel's shot how he used his body and the rim to you know he put a little spin on the ball and, and the kid the shop the the center for Leonia had to be about six six it was because he matched you know he was eye to eye with Vinny so that was uh yeah that was one of the that was one of the uh highlights and again we talked earlier about the 2015 you know um sectional final and again i was going back and forth that that one hurts a lot. that one hurts a lot so when i had to choose uh you know choose a win keep... absolutely yeah 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 you're lucky Stop. gary did that in your gym and wasn't like in saint mary's because it would have hit the ceiling in saint mary's and there would have been time left on the clock you know it was, yeah it's good there was a full gym with a high <laughs> ceiling oh <laughs> uh, yeah i mean that's uh yeah th those teams you know you look back now um even going back to my first year like you appreciate it so much now and the losses you feel for the kids and sometimes like the the 2015 team I still have a hard time I have like I said to you earlier I never watched the game until this year and just to see those guys I feel like at times you know you let them down like maybe if you you know you change the end of the game they would have gotten the recognition you know no one knows like uh, I talked to a few of my friends about it and they said, you know, Rock, if you do it and it backfires, then you look like you didn't know what you were doing. You know, it, it just maybe it wasn't your day. Maybe it was his day. And I give the, and I said in the interview after the game, uh, I give the kid credit. I mean, he took the shot. And like he said, out of everyone in the gym, you know, Coach Dodo would probably, he'd be the last one he would want to shoot in. He, you know, shot it and went in. And, you know, it's his history now. You can't go back in time. But. You know, it's it's the ups and downs of coaching. That's why we do it. There's never two days alike. And, uh, you know, it's looking back now, it's, it's it still hurts. But, but, you know, you realize the tremendous effort that both teams gave. And, you know, when it's, you know, 6.15 for a 7 o'clock game and the doors are locked and no one can get in, it's uh, a tribute to both schools and both teams, how hard they worked. And, you know, I always have a lot of respect for Mike Dodo and the Creskill, uh, Creskill Little School and, now with Dan, Dan does a great job and it's just, you know, it's, it's fun.
it's fun. You just you want to compete. And you want to be, you know, have your players show up day in and day out. And you want you you want the recognition. And like you said, the job you're doing, it's Saddlebrook. I'm sure Brian does a great job at the school he coaches at. It's it's why we do it. Like you said, you, when you called me up at the uh, the interview, it's a bunch of basketball junkies just having some fun shooting the breeze, and I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yeah, coach, I'm struck by your energy, your confidence, and the story about and you mentioned Angel and, and Gary making just a heady play. Uh, the way that you're, and I've never seen your kids play, but I can tell in my mind how your kids play. And it's a, it's a reflection, a direct reflection of, of you as a coach and you as a person. And I talk to my coaches often, and I think it's, it's a hot topic amongst coaching circles about how do we get our kids to be better leaders? Like we need good leaders. We need guys, you know? And so it just sounds like this play that angel makes in, in the, in the win and this reverse layup, this, this play that he had, he had your confidence, like you mentioned. He had the confidence in himself to go make that play, and he had the leadership ability to say, you know what, I'm the guy to go do this, and I've, I've obviously got a lane here. I'm going to go to the, to the rim with this thing. I guess my question is, like, what do you do? Or is there any strategy or anything that you are doing to develop kids to be good, positive leaders that are confident in themselves? I, I think they have it in themselves the whole time. It's what we do to try to pull it out from them. I know um, I love competition. And I think if you can make com competitive practices, whether it is consequences, that, that's one of the keys. I think if you can envision success for the kids and let them in, actually let them envision what it's like to be successful for them, I think that's huge. So it's just it's confidence. And, you know, Angel um, – was a man, a boy of very little words. Like he can be in a room the entire time and he wouldn't say two words, but he just had like that inner, that inner confidence, which I, I loved. Um, I, I, I don't know. I know we stress, I, you know, you tell the kids how good they can be. You have them compete. And, you know, the style that I like to play and um, it's, it's on them. And, you know, you're going to be successful. It's, you know, when you succeed, that's on you. If you fail, that's on me. And we just work, you know, I just keep that in the back of my mind all the time. And I hope it's in the back of their minds all the time. So I, I don't, I don't know. I just know it's, um, you know, I tell my son this all the time. Everyone's afraid. Everyone's nervous. The way you combat that, you put your head down, you do what you think is right and you do it a hundred percent. And at the end of the day, maybe it wasn't right, but you gave your best effort. And if you can do that, you can look yourself in the mirror and you can go on to the next one because there's going to be failures. I try to tell them that all the time. And I truly believe in that as a coach. You know, I, you can't be someone you're not. Just find what you do well, do it, and, you know, constantly learn. You know, uh, was, uh, my wife said it to me one time, the smarter, the more I know, the dumber I am. If that's, you know, you, you never, you, you're always above. You're always learning more and more. And, um, I always try to keep that, you know, if you see Bob Hurley at a coach's clinic with a clipboard taking notes, and to me, Bob Hurley is the best coach ever, other than maybe Mike Krzyzewski and Greg Popovich. Um, if he's constantly learning and he's, you know, doing stuff outside, you know, for kids in the Jersey City area, what's stopping Eddie Renzio from doing the same? So, I mean, it's just, uh, and I think still that's the beauty of basketball. You know, I did the thing last week with Matt, and the one thing I stressed in, to the audience and Matt's son gets it and Matt gets it. 
you know, you're, you're constantly working, you know, if you make nine out of 10 laps, well, next time you make 10 out of 10 laps, you know, if you can't go to your left hand, you work on going to your left hand. It's whatever you want to do. You can't, no one's going to, you know, you, you can't choose how big you are. That's according to, you know, uh, heredity, but you can choose how good you want to be, you know, and you got to put the time in and work. And if you're willing to do that, you know, success will be there. And uh, I truly believe that. And again, you know, we're not going to coach kids or might go on to the next level. They might not. But, you know, to me, high school was the best four years of my life. And, you know, carefree, you know, you have a job that you, you maybe work part time to get some spending money for pizza on the weekends. But it was your friends playing sports, hanging out and, you know, seeing what, you know, some of the things we've done here at Waldwick, things we did at Woodridge and being part of that is special, you know. And um, so, uh, you know, when I get nervous, when I, you know, worry about things, I said, I just say the same thing. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to do what I know best and I'm going to do it 100 percent. And if it fails, well, guess what? I'll fix it, but at least I know I'm doing it uh, the way I want. And the way I coach my kids at Waldwick and at Wood, you know, Woodridge and now at Waldwick is the same thing. I don't want them to be afraid of shooting the basketball. I never tell a kid not to shoot the ball. Um, I don't like running a lot of set plays because, again, you know, I played for my high school coach was a tremendous high school coach, and he had a different philosophy than I did. So we'd have 50 plays, you know, running for, you know, the couple of scores. I, you know, I don't. It's, if you stop those two scores, you stop the team. If five guys can score, it's harder to stop the team. And I, I believe that, you know, play up and down, you know, get, get more shots and more shots hopefully you make. And at the end of the day, you're on the, uh, the right side of the scoreboard. So, I mean. you, you said about 50 things in there I want to try to reference. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of all of them. <laughs> that was the soundbite of the year, by the way. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the end you were talking about about and you talked about in the middle too about your style or whatever and I think it's so true like it, it, whatever you're coaching or whatever style you're doing you have to believe in it first and the kids will believe it you know I, Brian knows I would I'd have a heart attack coaching your style of basketball <laughs> I would it would drive me insane I don't know if I could do it so I you know, what I, the way I coach is the way I believe. So if I believe first, then I can get the kids to believe. The second thing I wanted to say was you talked about high school and, and high school sports and high school basketball and it being a great four years. And, you know, when else, what other time in your life do you have that? Like you said, carefree. You're carefree, but you can do things on your own. And high school sports is one of the best of them. And I hate to keep going back to this 2015 game, but we talked about it off air. In the overtime period, the kid Nick DeCandia hit two three-pointers. And Nick was a really good baseball player, went on to play college baseball. He was thinking about not playing basketball his senior year. And Coach Dodo and I sat down with him and his dad and were like, Nick, you've played with, with Matt Flood and Zach Garcia and these kids your whole life. Why would you stop now? This is the last chance you have to play with them. Why, like, why would you stop now? Why, if you wanted to stop, stop in seventh grade, you know? And I remember talking to him after we won that sectional title and we were like, Nick, aren't you so glad you played? Like all those memories we made this year, you know, beating Hackensack in the Jamboree and, and going up to Rambo College to play St. Joe's and, you know, playing in the state tournament and getting to the North 1, North 2 uh, game, you know, all those things. So I think that's so important to impart to the kids that this is a great time in your life and seize every opportunity that you have. Oh, yeah. And like you said, people don't be – my big thing is 
Play as much as many sports as you can. Enjoy yourself. And if you're an athlete and a competitor, you can compete in any sport you choose. And I had no idea that Nick was even a baseball player. But like you said, you know, it's – and the funny thing is when you say that, the look on his face after he hit the first one, you know, there was confidence there. Then after the second one, that was, I think, the final nail in the coffin. And, uh, you know, he had that exuberation look on his face. And, you know, I, I give my kids a lot of credit because we were down that whole game to you guys, I think we took the lead. Uh, I know we took the lead when Will Cook hit the three from the corner. Yes. And, and then you guys came down, you rushed a shot, and, and Ashby got the rebound. Ashby McLeod, he came down for one and one. It wasn't even the double bonus yet. And he hit the front end of the one and one, and the second one that put us up three. And Mike called out this, a sideline break that you guys run many times. So we knew it was coming. And I didn't want tell you the truth, I didn't want to call a timeout from the run of a play, set up a play, or to sub, uh, sub in another shooter. And, uh, you know, it, uh, maybe it backfired. I mean, I, I laugh because, you know, they had the thing on um, Leitner. And I'm a big Duke fan, uh, mm -hmm. 30 for 30. And they send Leitner over to Kentucky for like a joke and he, and he you know, wipes the floor or whatever. I would love for that. Uh, I'm, I forgot his uh, Van AJ. was it Van? Was it? What was the player that hit the shot? AJ Gentile. Gentile, that's it. And you know, I'll give AJ you know twenty bucks. I'll give him fifty shots if he can hit that shot again. <laughs> he will. He will not. But, but even when you were talking about your game that you talked about here, the Leonia game, and then you were saying like that exuberance you had in 2011 and 2015 to lose a game, those tight games. I think that gives the balance that you have as a coach. Like, if you coach long enough, I always say they're, that's why I don't get that upset about calls. Like, they're going to even themselves out. You know, you won a game there at the buzzer against Leonia with a great play by your kid, and then you lost a game – well, not – you know, tied a game up at the buzzer against us. Like, it's all going to even out throughout your career. So you have to be able to take both, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the one thing, though, um, that really – that I don't know if I'll ever get over is again, you think about, okay, if I made this adjustment, those kids that again, we, you, you know, you beat us that year by 30 points in the regular season. And we had one mm -hmm. of our best players. Yeah. We, uh, Giorgio, uh, our Italian transfer. He's one of our best players. He went back to Italy. Mm -hmm. He was an exchange student. And for them to, you know, come all the way back and to fight as hard as they did and to, um, you know, again, I'm not taking anything away from that team. And it's just maybe if I do call a timeout, maybe if we said something. I mean, I can't tell you how many sleepless nights I had right after. I mean, I couldn't even go. I was sleeping downstairs in our, our like our family room because <laughs> I was tossing and turning. And again, it's part of it. Uh, you know, you get it. And I think that as you get older, it's like it resonates more because as a young coach, you're like, okay, I will get back there. But then as an older coach now, you know, you know, you know from your success at, at uh, Creskill and now you'll get it at Saddlebrook, Brian the same way at the school he coaches. You know what it takes to get to that, that level. You know, do I have the horses? And if I do, how long will I have it for? It seems that the schools in our area, they're no one-hit wonders anymore. They're constantly – you know, winning, I remember hearing this, winning breeds winning. And in all sports, not only basketball, but baseball, football, and so on. And um, that's kind of the one thing now. Like, 
I, I look at it and I had a friend say to me, you know, is it going to get, have you reached your pinnacle? I said, well, no, because you, you get up every morning and you coach, you know, you coach to win every game. But again, you know, you have certain teams that are special teams and, you know, I, I'm hoping that I'm working on that here at Waldwick and same thing with you at uh, Saddlebrook. But, you know, as you get older, it just seems like, I guess you think more about the end than the beginning. And that's how, you know, I kind of look at things now. Like I'm looking forward to coaching my son. You know, I did it on the AAU level, which is a little different. And, um, but I'm looking, you know, it's it just, yeah. Yeah. That's I, Cause gonna I told, be, that's going to be special. Yeah. It'll be a good time. I, but I told, and all honesty, I told Matt Stone the other day when I did his, uh, his workout, if we would have won the 2015 um, sectional, I might have just stepped away right there because at the time he was getting bigger. Uh, the job at Waldwick wasn't open, and I was just missing out on so much. I figured go out on a high note, and then if things opened up later on. But you know, I guess God has a plan for everyone. Everything you know, everything happens for a reason. So we'll see. But coach, I, I'm I'm blown away. You know, I, I I make it to New Jersey, New York, usually about once a year outside of pandemics that that uh, that happen. <laughs> Uh, so I know now that in addition to coming to my, my good friend, Chris de Blasio and all his family and enjoy the city. I know now that I'm going to come watch a Waldwick high school basketball game and watch you. <laughs> a, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take some pictures of your suit and tweet it out <laughs> and tag you, remind people to come back and listen to this episode. B, I'm going to take my own notes for my own, uh, uh, fashion, uh, just nonsense that I have going on down here in South Carolina. But, Coach, it's just been an unbelievable pleasure to to have you here and hear you tell stories. And like I said earlier, your your energy, your enthusiasm, your your genuine approach to to helping kids just comes through. And just really can't thank you enough for for coming on the show. It's been really really a blast. Uh, I'm grateful. I had a great time, and I I, I could do this all day with you guys. <laughs> we could too, and. But for now, let's wrap it up. And for my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I am Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. <laughs>